Mario Robinson, welcome to the Undraped Artist Podcast. It's great to have you here. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me, Jeff. This is an absolute pleasure. Yeah, well, it's my honor. So the, one of the main reasons it's fun for me, though, is because like we have talked a few times at the Portrait Society of America conference. But mm -hmm. like last year, I can't remember what happened last year, but I think somebody grabbed me for something and we were right in the middle of a conversation. But we, we haven't really gotten to know each other super well. So this is going to be fun. I get to pick your brain and you're not going to get to know me that well, but I'm going to get to know you <laughs> pretty well. So this will, yeah. be fun. this will be fun. I'd start a podcast. <laughs> That's how it works, right? Um, so can first I, of all. Can I tell my Jet9 story yeah, before go we for start? It. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of your work. I followed your work for a long time. I'm not just saying that because we're here. <laughs> it, I, I really it. love you. And two years ago, uh, I saw that you were going to be doing the, the face-off, and I was excited. And um, right before the face-off started, um, this is not how I wanted to meet you, but we were both in the gentleman's room, in the bathroom. And uh, I'm washing my hands, and I must have surprised you because you were coming in. You had your headphones on. You wear these big headphones. And I think you were so focused on what you were doing and, and whatnot. And I was like, hi, Jeff. I was like a, a, a little kid. <laughs> you looked right through me and went to do your business and left. And I didn't really see the headphones at the time. Like, they say never meet your heroes. <laughs> oh, you're too nice, man. <laughs> Oh, what a jerk. What, yeah, this guy's a jerk. <laughs> I was like, but you had your headphones. I think you had your music going. You were just about to start your face off. I've been there. I know how it is. Yeah, yeah. But I, you only had a chance to talk. That's, a, that's probably exactly what it was. I probably didn't even, wasn't even thinking. I'm like, I got to go to the bathroom fast and get back to the face off. <laughs> but I'm glad we finally got to talk. That's, yes, that's yes. Uh, what a jerk. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, repent. there's not a lot of mugs like this walking around. Like, you got to recognize this. No, mug. I think the first time I met you was probably the same year. It was down in the the restaurant, right? Yeah, yeah we were getting breakfast. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. I'm glad yeah. we finally got to finally got to meet. Yeah. But it's so true. one of the things I was looking through your website before we before I got on, and of course I've seen all your work before. I followed you for years as well, and also a huge fan. And um, you're super prolific one, but also um, I kind of feel a little bit guilty. I didn't realize you did oil painting. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've always seen you as a draftsman and a watercolor artist and I'm looking through your website and I'm like, holy crap, he does oil paintings too. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but let's first start with just some general questions. Like, let me tell me a little bit about your life, where you came from, how you ended up getting into art. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I was born in a really small town in Oklahoma, um, Altus, Oklahoma, in particular. They have an Air Force base there. And my mother married my stepfather uh, when I was about four years old. He was from New Jersey originally. So once he got back from Vietnam and doing his tour there, um, he did a couple more years in, in the small town. He was like, I just got to get out of here. And um, we moved to New Jersey um, when I was 10 years old. And upon arriving in New Jersey, um, I had a fifth grade teacher that assigned me and one of my friends um, an assignment to draw presidents for an open house. And I'm not going to draw this out, but 
this is this is really the moment that everything kind of kind of crystallized and came together. I'd never picked up a pencil to draw. I had watched a neighbor and maybe a couple of other classmates draw, but I admired it and never thought I could do it. Um, so my friend Rob started drawing and scribbling in, in pen. He was a football player. It was kind of rough. And Miss Mitchell said, let's let Mario just finish the project. So I drew about 20 presidents for the open house. She put it out in the hall, pinned it up to the court board. And, you know, all the parents were like, who who, who did these? And it, it, in a way, it was like my, my first exhibition because um, we had different projects. Like other people would do other things for the open house. I just so happened to have filled um, that void that she needed. Um, so high school teacher, art teacher, Mrs. Elvinger, came by to see the, the work. And at the time, there was like a talented and gifted program that she had started. So in seventh grade, I was taking high school art. I was going back and forth. And in the four years that I was with Miss Elvinger, um, she helped me with a portfolio. Her dream school was Pride Institute, which I had never heard of. My, my family, we didn't have an art background or anything. And she took me to Portfolio Day. She begged my parents to let me go. Me and her in Brooklyn walking around on Portfolio Day. I got inspired looking at the campus and I ended up at Pride Institute. Uh, just to take one step back, my mother was unimpressed with the scholarship I received, uh, full scholarship I received at Pratt, and made a deal with me to uh, go get a trade. And it just so happened to be in the U.S. Army. So I went from high school to the Army to Pratt Institute. So Wait, how long were you in the Army then? Four years. Okay. The four-year contract. Um, yeah, so I was going in, I was 17, and um, it was kind of like duality because, you know, with growing up in a military family, you know, we would live all over the place. We lived in Grand Forks, North Dakota. Um, you know, so my stepdad would go to different duty stations. I was used to being on bases, seeing him in uniform. Everybody around me served. It was like the time of... Um, the draft, so most of the adults that I knew had served in some capacity or another. So when the uh, the recruiter came to my table in the lunchroom and uh, he was asking me, you know, he's like, what, what are your plans after this? And I'm like, I want to be an artist. I want to go to art school. And he's like, you can do art in the army. And silly of me, <laughs> I'm like, of course I can. And so he's like, come down to the station. The recruiting station, you take the ASVAB test, you take the entrance test and see if you pass it and we'll pick a job that entails art. And there was no job for art on mm. there. But mm. looking back, I need the discipline. And um, it was a, a big culture shock, but I did it and then went to Pratt Institute uh, the next fall after I got out. What year was it you went to Pratt? I entered Pratt in 1990. 1990. To 1994. Okay. Yeah. So that, okay. so that from 1986 to 1994 were that eight-year block between the discipline of the Army and discipline of, of Pratt Institute, which is a rigorous program. Uh, it kind of set me up for kind of avoiding the trap of trying to look for a job or do something else. I was just so ready um, to do something with all that, that discipline and following orders from, you know, the chain of command and then following orders from art teachers, mm -hmm. which they were all great in doing the jobs. But I, there was something in me that I think it was just bound up for so long that I couldn't do exactly what I personally wanted to do every day. Uh, you mentioned the being prolific. I, I think I'm just, I think that delayed gratification 
um, being a, a, a young person and saying, when I finally get my chance, when I do go out there, I'm not going to squander or waste my opportunities. Um, I'm going to back up what I said I was going to do and be in the world. And, and I just went for it. Was that a good experience, Pratt? Uh, it was, it was what I made of it. Um, I'm sure other people have different experiences. Uh, it's a big workload, but I wasn't a good student. Oh, really? I was always, I lived in the, <laughs> the head of the department, the, the guy that accepted me to Pratt, Elliot Gordon, he was constantly talking to me about doing my homework, um, not pushing back on my professors. I entered the, entered the school as a illustration major. Again, my mother's rational side, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of people have this, this story mm -hmm. of, you know, a lot of people are double majors, one for you, one for your parents, something like that. But I would just absolutely just push back on the illustration um, teachers and I didn't fit there. So Elliot would always tell me, you know, you have to do your homework, you have to listen, you have to do it. And uh, I was just trying to bend it to my will, if you, you know, because yeah. I was supposed to be there to get grades and do what they were supposed to do and get the instruction. Um, and then I went over to the fine art department. It was it was just a little contemporary for my taste back in the 90s. I'm sure you. Yep, same um, experience, yeah. And so me and a group of, of uh, rebels would get a model at night um for like a few nights a week and we would draw realistically rather than you know doing all this kind of like it feels good do it intuitive um gestural stuff we were doing in life drawing so that kind of saved me you were that the, you were summer. the underground the avant-garde we were, we were <laughs> the we, bad we boys were. <laughs> we were, we were. We were. <laughs> looking back now we 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 were we just didn't a lot of people back then rolled over, but we couldn't understand. And I think the people that were in the group, one guy was from Atlanta, another guy was from like Kentucky. So I think our Midwestern kind of rational way of looking at it as outsiders, um, looking at this whole New York thing, like this is a scam, mm. you know, gave us this, this kind of, uh, it wasn't forward thinking at all. It was just trying to make sense of, I don't think these instructors um, know anything about doing things realistically. Realism wasn't really a word back then, but but drawing and painting accurately. Yeah, yeah. I did have one painting instructor, Tom Orlando, and he would take us to the Met and he would teach us in, in oil painting techniques. Tall, wiry guy, and I really look forward to his classes. And the critiques were really, always really good in that class. There's some really smart kids in that in that painting class. But yeah, I just got through it and then kind of went off and did my own thing in a bubble. So Pratt's expensive, Pratt. though. So you you're saying you got a mediocre education, but what I mean, did you get it on scholarship or you, did you have to pay for that? Yeah, full scholarship. Oh, based goodness. on yeah, based on the portfolio with with Miss Elvinger. Um, the drawing portfolio that I had, I had no paintings, drawings. And um, yeah, the, the, the one thing I will say um, about Pratt Institute is the work ethic that you, you kind of receive because they treat the 
all of your projects and the, and the things that you're turning in, they treat them as kind of like real world experience. So you work on like deadlines and, and, and things like that. So, mm. um, and there's people from all over the world and, and on the campus, you have access to, to a lot of different, different things that other people at schools in New York don't have access to. We have a, a, a 25 acre campus where we could lay out in the grass and relax, get our minds together. Um, so I think everything doesn't have to happen in the, in the classroom, that, that energy that, that, that garners, um, it, it, it's just incredible. You know, yeah. I had a roommate that was an architecture major from Japan and, and he was drawing with the technical pencil that I didn't even know existed. Hmm. And I'm like, what? <laughs> just something simple like that, Jeff. It's like, it opened up. Yeah. It's the only thing I can draw now, draw with now is a nickel pencil, a lead holder. And, um, yeah, he was drawing these intricate um, architectural renderings and just one thing like that. Um, you mean just a up. basic two millimeter lead holder? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I hadn't heard of them to my yeah. art school either. So you and I are in the same boat. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this, this lets you know how little being in a small town on the Jersey Shore can actually give you until you go to a place like New York City. For me, yeah, um, I just didn't know, hmm. did not know these other things, and that's just one example. So many other things. So I can't say that I didn't get anything. I got quite a lot, but um, it's just the exposure that you can get. And then after you come out of Pratt, you realize what the name is. Um, Do you feel like that name you know, helped you in your career? No, I mean, um, can, I mean, can you say I went to Pratt and sell more paintings because of that, or? Ooh, no, no, okay. Ooh, no. I think with just just like the the art world, kind of like a microcosm of the broader world. So there's this kind of thing where there's politics, there's biographies. Um, it's all, it's all about who you know. Right. So, so while everything doesn't happen on the art selling side of things, there's also other things, connections that have nothing to do with um, how well you can draw and paint and which rooms you get into and who actually also went to, went to prep or might respond to something like that. So no, it doesn't directly um, relate to sales, but there's there are other things where I can say, unfortunately, going to prep kind of helped that and that. Right, right. Not a lot. Not to make it worth it, no. Hmm. No. You know, it's interesting because I don't know if you know, but I grew up uh, in the Hudson Valley, just north of New York City. Oh, really? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, you were probably born, what, 68, 69? 67. 67, okay. I just figured based on what you described, but so I graduated in 1992 and strongly considered going Mm -hmm. to Pratt. So we would have been, no, we would have been classmates. So... Yeah. But I didn't end up going. Didn't end up going. We've been drawing at night, man. You were one of the bad boys. <laughs> I would have been because I don't, I wouldn't have, yeah, that contemporary thing. It, it turned me off in my own school as well. Um, but mine Which was just, that? I just went to a state school, U, University of Utah. But, mm. um, but yeah, we would have been classmates. Too bad. But I couldn't afford it and didn't have a scholarship. So <laughs> it's expensive. You can't afford it. I don't I always wonder who who are these people. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Well, okay. So you went to college. How did you turn mm-hmm. 
Well, I'm going to put this in quotes. How did you turn your education yeah. into a career? Mm. Okay, so I would sit in class and I would kind of look at the projects that my professors were making, mostly in the illustration department. And I would always wonder, like I had one instructor, he would do illustrations for Time Magazine and he would bring in, he brought in like a Barbara Bush illustration he's working for a cover. And I, I always thought to myself, why is he here? Why is he sitting here with us? He has this wonderful job. He has all this skill. So they got my wheels turning all the way through my um, four years there. And I made a conscious decision to not take a, a job because it's it felt like with him and others supplementing their income as teachers and having to split their time with us where they could be making these beautiful paintings. And I know this sounds naive, but this is thinking of a 20 something. And I was like, if I go out there and get a job, even if it's art related, that's time take, that I'm taking away from actually building my body of work and being an artist every day. And of course the thinking was, was a little bit more naive. It was probably more stubborn, just I wanna paint, and I don't wanna do anything else. But I remember that particular um, display when he was showing us, you know, he had like tissue paper over it and we couldn't touch it. And, he had it graphed out and I'm just like, this is incredible, but he's a teacher. So to answer your question, I slept on a few of my friends' couches because my mother, she definitely wasn't open for, you know, sleeping in the basement and painting and, and just doing all that. So I began to write magazines. I think this is about the year 1999. Um, and I built a body of 10 pastels I had worked on. And um, I remember writing Stephen Dowdy at the uh, American Artist. I wrote the Artist Magazine and the Artist Magazine responded to me and they gave me a feature in 2001. They said, the only thing you have to do is do a step-by-step -step demonstration. And I was like, okay. So I, shot some bad slides, they sent them back to me and they were like, you got to do this all over again. This is not good. So I had to do a second demo. So I learned on the fly, like how to be a professional, how to make sure um, images were, were correct, um, how to write articles. And I think one thing led to the next, to the next. And then I think I got a gallery in 2002 in Maryland and um, they would sell work at different shows that they would do and, and whatnot. But then um, I got hooked up with Anne Long Fine Art through one of her friends and she emailed me. Long story short, it started with an article. It started with people seeing my work and me being able to say I was in articles, whatever that meant back then, getting a better gallery. Um, Anne Long absolutely just got me better collectors. Um, Gave me more time to paint because I was making more money. Um, and it seems like here I am. I, I just, hmm. I don't think that there's a, there was a big business plan other than that investment that I took to make those 10 paintings, oddly enough. Yeah, but Which you is were, scary. You were um, pretty, I don't know what's the right word, not, not aggressive maybe, but motivated. It's, 
Because I haven't heard that story much of people writing magazines. Um, and that's a good lesson, frankly, for me even. I mean, for every, I mean, for anyone. Um, it didn't even occur to me that that was doable to, to write a magazine ask, like, and, and ask for a feature. What made you, yeah. what gave you the, I don't know, the confidence, the courage, the, the grit to do that? Yeah. Um, I didn't know any better. So ignorance, um, <laughs> uh, willful ignorance, like yeah. just willful, not wanting to know. Um, back then you can identify with this. I was going to Barnes and Noble obsessively because there was no internet and I would sit on those, those brown benches and go through the artist magazine. I would go through like, American Artist, um, Pastel Journal, all these magazines, I would see the same people over and over and over. I would see Max Ginsburg in there. I would I would see Burt Silverman. Mm -hmm. I would see it's, it's the, the usual suspects. I finally started seeing Jacob Collins right there at the end um, of that time. And I would just think to myself, again, maybe it's arrogance, maybe it's ignorance, but what do they have that I don't have? They're not in here one time. They're in the advertisements. They're in the, the features. And I, I started, one thing I took away from that is consistency. Um, they had plenty of work, had really great work. Um, and I was like, I can take something from that and I can actually apply that to what I'm doing. So if I create this work as a style, as a, it, it, as a story, I believe, I can start to kind of get a national, this is so dumb, but I thought I could get a national audience to see my work. Um, and then the phones would just be ringing. It's as simple as that. <laughs> I think we I all, we all hope for that when we have a magazine article or ad or something. <laughs> it's just going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I still have a Pratt notebook where I have all the notes that I've written. Um, two of them just filled with notes. I would practice draft letters. So it was a solid year for me waiting for the phone to ring, painting pictures, thinking I got to be ready for when that magical moment happens. <laughs> I love it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. You're like a big kid. <laughs> Just waiting oh, by like the phone. Big <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I mean, seriously, I think, like I said, I don't know. I can't speak for anybody else, but I think there was a piece of me the first time I had an article or an ad thinking, mm. oh, this is it, man. Everything's going to get great real fast. And, and I, and I eventually realized it's a cumulative thing. You know, it's not just one, one thing doesn't make a career. I mean, I suppose there are some things that make careers, but I haven't experienced one of those yet. It's been very cumulative, <laughs> right? Is that the way it is for you? Has been for you too? Yeah, it, it, um, I needed that. I needed that, that grounding, that humility, um, because it took four more years to be on the cover of American Artist from 2000, well, three years. But in that three years, it put me back on my heels a little bit and gave me a, it gave me a little bit of reality. And I had to go back to that discipline of being consistent, working hard. Um, and I wasn't putting all my stock in, in the magazines. I actually was working on, um, you know, shows and things for the small gallery I was in. So, um, 
but I was still writing letters. I wrote Stephen Darty. Um, and then I remember that he needed one more slide or something. Stephen Darty uh, from. He was a publisher. Uh, he was a, the, the editor, senior editor of American artists at the time. Okay. And um, I remember taking the slide, the transparency, four by five to the office and being inside of American artists um, in the lobby. He came out and I'm just like, this is surreal. This is weird. And it's like, I think it's, it's bigger when you're on the outside of all of this. Um, when you're on the inside of it, it seems too normal. It doesn't seem like TV anymore. You're on the set. So I think I also needed that too, because before it was just like this magical world where people write stuff, but they're not human beings. And I had a nice conversation with him and, um, I left, but that was my first glimpse, Jeff, of the inner workings of the art world. Everybody was was busy. They were doing stuff, and uh, it was an office. And then I go back, and um, from there I had like articles like every year till now. Like it's just, I don't know how it all. <laughs> it, it sounds dumb, but I really just put my head down and worked and. Um, just kept going. And I think if you put one foot in front of the other, I will say one thing, big thing that I did was switching from pastel painting for 10 years to implementing watercolor in 2005. Hmm. That was yeah, a game because changer. Then huh? they, it was a game changer. These pastels were taking like my whole summers to create. I was taking like four months to create these things. They were very intricate. They were hard on my mind, my soul, my hands my eyes so I could go from creating a four month painting to taking four or five days or even mm. a week if I wanted to take longer to do watercolors. And then I could be in the watercolor magazines. I had a different audience that liked watercolor. Um, people love Andrew Wyeth. It reminded them of Wyeth. And I started to just take on a very different um, um, aesthetic in 2004. Okay. All right. So I want to, I want to look at some of these, um, pastels. So are all of these pastels then from before 2005, or are you still tinkering with this stuff? They are. So in the middle the one entitled Oscar, that's part of that series that I put together for the first feature. That's from 1997. God, it's beautiful. It's it Thank almost you. looks like watercolor, though. I was trying to mimic watercolor. Like, you can see in the background with the wall on the right where it's washed out with white. I would take I would take the uh, the cross-hatching that I was doing um, and kind of just glazing with little bitty pieces of watercolor. I mean, with, with pastel. pastel. And that's all, that's all pastel on watercolor paper. Unbelievable. So that's the second finished one. I did one head of a girl. And then that's the second one. Um, I took the whole summer to do that one. Um, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, these are, yeah. they have a very Wyeth quality to them. Thank you. And this, this was before I even discovered Andrew Wyeth's work. And it was, it was just like an affirmation when I saw his work, the way he was painting regular people. Yeah. No, I mean, and and they're unique to you too. Don't get me wrong. I mean that like, yeah, they're, 
they just have that sure. same yeah. level of the quality is just up there. This is gorgeous. So Thank this you. is a pastel called Miss Chucky. Chucky. Yes, and that's 1999. So again, that's that's right in that first series. So you were 22 when you did this? Uh, 31. Oh, how did I get that math? Rather, oh, right, 67. I think 77. Okay. Yeah, 31. 31. Yeah, and this... then the Baptist is the one that went on the cover of, of American Artist. Then the veteran. I'm looking at the veteran right now. Man, this is, is now this. Oh, uh, that's my friend. This is who? That's my grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> Looks like a man with a lot of wisdom. It's... Yeah. So this is, this is around 2004. So I was, I was kind of playing with the idea of getting out of the pastel things. It was, it was kind of in my spirit. It was kind of, I knew I needed to change. I needed to do something. So mm. this one's number one, a little bit smaller than the others. And it has a watercolor wash, which I started introducing underneath the pastel. So like you can see the white of the hair. Yeah. Is um, that... it's kind of like is that so the background is that pastel or watercolor uh the whole top layer everything you're seeing is 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 pastel so i would okay i would do like a watercolor wash because i really wasn't that good at watercolor so i wasn't comfortable yet i still needed to bring in that hybrid energy of the pastel finish that people were were kind of used to yeah, this is the, we're looking at the Baptist now, pastel 22 by 30. The, mm -hmm. just gorgeous. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, your, thanks so much. Your skin tones are beautiful. And for those who aren't watching, um, you know, he's painting all black people. So these are, I mean, so, you know, it just so you can try and visualize beautiful black skin, lots of color mm -hmm. in the skin. I see purples and yellows and oranges and, um, I could I could kind of flirt with with pastel. I could just flirt with like those Indian reds and in the, in, in the Sienna and then gradate them. So you're you're not even having to really mix it. Uh, I was mixing with the cross hatching right on the paper, you know. So they do gradate it um, from you know the darks to the light. So I was able to get these ranges and um, be stubborn about just piling on color with with the cross hatching technique I was using. Yeah, talk about that. I mean, maybe this goes without saying, um, but talk about that. You you are painting. I mean, everyone on this page is all black people. So are you painting your friends and mm -hmm. family? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that. So the early days coming out of coming out of Pratt, coming out of art school, you know, you're used to having models. You're being told what to do. Um, so my mom, she moved to Northern Alabama um, with her job, with the arsenal, with the army. Um, and it was right around the time where I was getting out of school and I was like, kind of need to change. I'll, I'll go down and see what, what you're doing. You've never been there. I'll, I'll, I'll stay a couple of years with you and just kind of make sure you're okay. And then I would see these beautiful African-American people sitting on their, on their, their porches or we had a neighbor whose daughter would, which is the girl in the blue dress, she would wear dresses to school. This is, she was in seventh grade. And it just reminded me of that um, small town in Oklahoma where people just led a little bit more of a simple 
simple life and life slowed down for people and they would do things that people wouldn't do up north, you know, like sit around on a porch and gossip or, um, or address the school mm-hmm. um, every day from, from the Salvation Army. Like, so I was like, I kind of need something to get, it wasn't even like the art thing. It was just like, I need something to make me want to paint. It was as simple as that. So I employed um, the neighbor's daughter, Plum, who appears in many of those, those pastels. So I painted her from the time when she was in seventh grade to around when she was graduating um, high school in the blue dress. So I would just start to pose her in different dresses that I would start to buy from the um, the Salvation Army, um, style her, take her around different locations. And this is the last one she informed me. She's like, her and her mom sat me down at the ta- kitchen table before the session started. And she's like, you know, Plum is graduating. She needs her hair, hair done. She needs her nails done. She needs new shoes. It's going to be $250. And I needed that because before that, it was just like no one knew where these things were going. Um, the internet wasn't that big, but they started getting a, they were able to research things online and see that I was, um, getting a little bit of attention for these things. So Hmm. that was a real wake up call. Like, yes, I'm painting my family and friends, but they do need to be compensated now that I'm actually making these things. Um, so yeah, so this is a, this is a 40 by 30 um pastel and what what i do is i basically just start with the head and just do a full-on almost like a tic-tac-toe vertical and horizontal and it ends up looking like a little bitty screen and i've done demos step by steps that people can see online and i'll i started this one just with a prussian blue blocking in the darks Hmm. everything has to start with that grid and then I won't depart from that grid. Okay. There'll be no stumbling. Everything. If I put a red on top of that blue, um, it goes on that grid. Okay. And that's where continuity, um, comes from. And you're getting all those colors kind of building upon each other. Hmm. So is this a denim dress? Yes. Man. Like a sham, a chambray. Yeah, mm-hmm. man, you captured that texture, especially because so. it's not that big. It's only 40 by 23. And mm-hmm. uh, I mean, that's a pretty good size, but it's not quite life size, correct? Mm-mm. No. Yeah. And, no. and uh, that fabric is so intricate and sensitively painted. It's really incredible. incredible. One, one thing I will say, Jeff, about not having the internet and just really relying on your own kind of but the limited information you have whether it's whether it's a magazine or art books you don't get things in real time like what what the art trend or wave is at that time so i was forced to just come up with i love to draw more than paint so i came up with a paint a way of applying paint while while drawing and i think i worry a little bit about now where we are now because some of that individuality, it can be lost. There's a risk of it being lost because we have so much information and everything looks so tantalizing when you look at other people's work. So this is just me for better or for worse, trying to figure out a way of 
of working, you know, of building a picture. All right. So I've got, let's back up a little bit. So you talked about how you started your career. One of the ways you did it was to approach a magazine, which kind of led to something else, which led to something else and so on. How do you feel mm -hmm. about where we're at now as artists um, with marketing? Because it, there are no more gatekeepers. You know, like when you mm -hmm. and I were starting out, I think we're pretty much on a similar path because we both got into a gallery in 2002, right? You're a little mm -hmm. ahead of me in schooling, but we both got to the gallery about the same time. And then, and we had a very different experience than what new artists are having now with social media. And it used to be, that once you, the way to get your stuff out there was to be recognized by editors and galleries. And that way you could get in magazines, you get publications and you can, that's how you push your work. But now it feels like mm -hmm. you just have to know a good dance on TikTok and put it on TikTok, And then, or some, it's, a, it's like a whole different thing. So how have, how, what are your feelings about that? How, and, and if, and how have you managed it? If you have at all? Hmm. That's a great question. Um, so much about this is, is individual. Yeah. You know, we talk about the art world or, um, the business of art and it really is like millions of little businesses inside of a business. So one thing that works for you absolutely wouldn't work for me. TikTok. I will never be on there. It just wouldn't work for me. It doesn't appeal to me, even though people have millions of followers. Um, I, me as an aging person, I felt like I had to make a decision a couple of years ago not to follow every thing, whether it's an NFT, whether it's crypto, whether it's TikTok. I had to plant my foot in the sand and realize, hey, you can't follow every everything there has to be a point i used to have artwork on myspace i used to actually do the music and so there will be another instagram there will be another TikTok, and i view it for me as an, a distraction um i think the gatekeepers are good i think that it's good to have choices i think that instagram and social media is a good way to take matters into your own hands and exploit that. But I think you, you still need both. I don't mm. think the galleries or, or uh, the magazines are ever going to go away. One you thing that they do, really? I, I don't, because I think that there's always an audience that needs to hear it from someone else. Yeah, I think if I'm telling you how great I am on social media and I'm always trying to sell you something um, that can only go so far. Um, and someone else writing, whether it's a critic, whatever it is, someone else working on your behalf or legitimizing um, you as an individual, there's always going to be someone that wants to hear it uh, from someone other than Jeff Hine. I just feel like that way. I, I just feel like um, it's fool's gold if you just depart from the old way of doing things and then just jump on this life raft. Hmm. I, I just, I just, I mean, we've been predicting the the end of it for 
it's almost like the end of the end end of times. We've been we've been predicting this for a long time, and and the other side just comes up with more creative ways to use social media. Yeah. To further their their causes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I I like that answer. I I want I want to uh, believe that you're right. <laughs> And I'm, I don't agree I'm, or disagree. I'm, I just, I like, I like that answer though. And it's uh, because frankly, the, I feel like it was the good old days where we just painted and let other people market our work, right? In a way. Sure. Yeah. Let the galleries and the magazines sure. do the marketing. I mean, you paint the painting, you send it to the gallery, the gallery sends it to the magazine and it's just that cycle. Whereas now it feels like there's all this pressure to film yourself every day during your painting hours and make it look really fast paced and exciting and but only under 60 seconds you know to fit the algorithm and it's just like come on i just want to paint i just want to do my thing you know i don't want to you know so i hope you're right i hope you're right anyway i hope i'm right i'm rarely right but i hope i'm right i don't know you've been right about a lot of things you're sitting here right now as a professional artist you've done some things right and all right so tell me a little bit about your inspirations i mean you said you didn't hear of andrew wyatt till after which doesn't surprise me i mean because of where we both came from right without the internet and stuff but Mm -hmm. you must have had inspirations early on and what were they if if you did um, yeah, early on, um, I would say going to the Met kind of opened my eyes to Rembrandt. Rembrandt was an early inspiration of mine, um, Vermeer, just because it was painting so realistically as a young person, I couldn't get past what that even was. Um, Edgar Degas, because I was doing pastels, he was a huge inspiration. Thomas Aikens, I discovered Aikens really early in in the uh, in the Met. The Met was kind of like a think tank for me. I was I would walk through, and I wasn't just stuck on paintings. I was really looking at people that said something about uh, the contemporary world, something I could understand. Uh, so Degas, based on you know dancers and and things like that, didn't seem like a hundred years ago to me, it felt, it felt fresh, you know, his colors and the way he was, his mark making. Um, so those are my early influences. Um, and then I mentioned spending a lot of time in, um, in Elliot's office at Institute, right outside of his, come out of his door, um, on the outside wall, there was a print by Andrew Wyatt that was called master's bedroom. And it's a, a dog sleeping in a in a four post um, bed and I would always look at that and like they're not teaching anything like that here what medium even is that the way the light is 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 kind of hitting off the surface of the paper and light and airy and here we are learning you know oil techniques and acrylic and every time I would go in there and maybe it's maybe it's the reason I had to be disciplined so much to go I had to pass that wire but I never researched who the artist was until I was in a library in Alabama when I came down with my mom and I was working on that pastel of Oscar, I I had the head in there and I just needed a break. And I went to the library 
I went to the reference section. I was just looking, went all the way down to the W's and just thumbed through it. And I saw that painting. And I'm like, this is the person in Master's bedroom. And he had all these beautiful, like, people that weren't glamorous or anything. And then he had fields and cows. And then he had, like, ocean scenes from Maine. So he, he mixed, if anybody doesn't know about Andrew Wyeth, he lived in, in Chasford, Pennsylvania, which is a rural area. And then he would vacation with his family. He grew up vacationing in Maine. Um, so he would have both. He would have rural scenes and he would have ocean scenes. So me coming from a rural place in Oklahoma and then moving to the Jersey Shore, I was familiar with both of those subject matters. So he became like an instant source of inspiration. And as, as I said earlier, affirmation based on regular people that I wanted to paint, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that beautiful spirit that they carried around. I wanted to share that with the world. He was doing that. So a lot of people think that I was just sitting there just doing doing copies of Andrew Wyatt and just trying to get a style. My style was already kind of had that American kind of traditional kind of way of, of, of looking at uh, picture making. I think largely because of Winslow Homer and Thomas Aikens. I discovered Homer at, at the Met as well. Hmm. So... It really was more of an, um, kind of me just being affirmed in not trying to paint flashy things and just really settle in on the everyday people kind of theme. Yeah. I love that about your work. You know, I've, I've heard critics say that the problem with some contemporary realists is that they paint the past. And I'm not going to comment whether mm -hmm. I agree or disagree with that, but I've heard it said, you know, like people painting women in bonnets and people painting uh, cowboys from the 18th century, you know, doing cowboy stuff and whatnot. Um, mm -hmm. And whether while I'm not going to say if I like or dislike that, I am going to say that mm -hmm. I do love that yours has a feeling of your life, like of your experiences, even though it's, I well, there are some self-portraits, but even when they're not a self-portrait, it's like, it feels like authentic to you and your experiences, which, I which I, yeah, I, I think that's a really cool thing. Um, thank so you. I oh, go ahead. No, I'll just thank you. For oh, that. okay. That, that, a lot to me. Oh, you're very welcome. Um, so what about now? I mean, have your influence changed? Influences changed at all? I'm stubborn, man. Um, <laughs> you know what you like. I know what I like, and I don't like a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I think there's a danger. I think there's a danger in looking outward too much. Someone was looking for a quote, I think yesterday, like that social media for a lot of these companies. And it was like, just can you text me? He's like, can you tell me some of your favorite um, classical uh, painters? And I was like, fun fact, um, I'm not into it that much. Hmm. And then I gave him the name that I that I gave you, Andrew Wyatt, Thomas Aikens, Winslow Homer, people that actually painted in a time period a little bit closer to mine. Um, I've never ridden on a stagecoach. Um, I've never worn a top. Um, no offense, but the people that look a little bit like me were in a were in a different situation 
right from back then. So I can't be out here glorifying it and um, bonding and cozying up to it that much while it's beautiful. Um, me as a person, not just a painter, I don't follow the crowd and be like, oh, you guys all like that. I have to like that. Right. Um, that's Maybe that's the army of me, but I'm not. I'm not just going to go over the cliff just because someone else likes it. Um, so these days I'm sticking with my inspirations, just trying to get better at closing my self off. And because there's a big followers mentality out there now, because you can see anybody's work. You don't even have to ask people what they're working on anymore. You can, can see what they're doing. You can see how influential they are based on the numbers of people that like it. So these days I'm just sticking with my early inspirations, liking other things, but just trying to close myself off and make the most honest work I can that I can make. I've laid off the portraits a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, I just want to, like with the oils, you mentioned the oils, I, I just want to keep growing in that respect and not looking outward and right. kind of idol worshiping other, other artists, you know. You know, you know, one thing I've noticed and correct me if I misunderstood what you're just saying, but I think I understand what you were getting at. But one thing I've noticed doing this podcast, even in the short time that I've done it, because nice thing about actually being the interviewers, I get to pick the artists, right? So I'm picking people I respect. So I don't think this is a coincidence, but um, what I've noticed is that every single person I've interviewed is very authentic, Mm. but by the, the, by the blue chip world standard, they'd be considered, many of them might be considered just simply for being realists, mm-hmm. um, backward, uninspired, mm-hmm. you know, have nothing to offer. But mm-hmm. in reality, what I'm seeing is they're the most authentic artists out there because they're not following the crowd. <laughs> So like in this day and age to, to be unique, you have to be like everybody else. It seems. That's a great point. <laughs> First of all, it says a lot about your aesthetic choices. You know, the people <laughs> that you have on, you have people yeah. that are actually grounded to earth. Um, yeah. and they just do what they want to do. They they're not paying attention to what they're supposed to do in 2022. Right. I Ooh, love that. that refreshing? It is. That's that, refreshing. It is just be yourself. Yeah. And I, yeah, you can sense that in your work. It's totally, like a whole bunch of self-portraits and uh, because it just feels authentic and honest and really, yeah, it's great. So um, let me pull up a little bit more of your work here. Let's go up to your watercolors now. Um, Cause that, I, I believe this is what you're really known for. I mean, this is what I know you for, but that's just me. Am I wrong that this is sort of your, your staple? in your career your watercolors. uh did you go to the watercolor section oh. i think they'll be i yeah, wasn't reading are... i just looked at it <laughs> yeah here we go sorry you're multitasking, you're multitasking. It's yeah fun. okay yeah oh so, gosh so, these are yeah. beautiful so yeah so tell me so, what, what yeah. do you want to tell, pick out a couple of your favorites just give me a number in a row give me a row and then and then a number in that okay. row and then tell me about them okay okay so if you go to the one in the in the white dress on the right. Okay, this one. With the, yes, yes. So this is also part of that last kind of period of 
of plum posing. Oh, this and, is plum uh, again. Okay. It's plum again. She this told is me freedom. This is one of the. I'm just for this the people who are listening. This is freedom watercolor on paper, thirty by twenty-two, and it's uh, how old is she? Maybe a, a teenage girl standing yes. against uh, the side of a house. Mm-hmm. She was a senior in high school, and this is the breezeway of my mom's apartment, right in the middle. And the day before we had started the session, and she's like, "I just don't want to wear these dresses anymore. <laughs> like you just can't." Pour me into these dresses. She'd been doing it since seventh grade. She's in 12th grade here, about to graduate. And she was a sweet, understated person, but over the, over the time of posing and having this relationship, she was just, I saw her just become a little bit more um, growing into a woman and into a person that had their own, their own thoughts, their own mind. Mm -hmm. And it was awkward at first, the pushback, but I had to respect it. So she, didn't pose, and then the next day she comes in her father's big clunky Cadillac making all this noise, pulled up. I'm like, is that plum out there? So she comes up and says, I'll put the dress on. And she had, she had kind of ripped one of the buttons off the day before trying to get it off, so I put a safety pin in the top. <laughs> um, and she had, that was her T-shirt, just threw it on, and just we just went after it. You know, and these are the stories that I have for almost every one of my paintings, these very personal stories. Um, and she, she has a beautiful French tips uh, that she got done for her graduation. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and she normally wore like this 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 kind of weave thing in her hair. So she was going to get her hair done, um, get the stuff done. Uh, but I got caught her in this moment. So I love more than the paintings. I love all these memories that go back to, you know, the 90s, the mid 2000s. Um, and uh, let's just, yeah, let's click on maybe the the one all the way on the right, on the bottom there. Yeah. Ticket booth, so this, watercolor on ticket paper. Booth. Yeah. Oh, wait. Yeah. Dude. So this is. Why is that not? Oh, there we go. Okay. So, so this is just. Go ahead and describe yeah. it for us. Yeah. So this is just an example. Once I started getting a little bit more kind of savvy, I could paint bigger watercolors. You see all that negative space on the ticket booth? Mm -hmm. I could kind of just wrap all that color around it, put a couple of washes on the white, and just work a big old value study and and just be able to make bigger, um, more immediate work with the watercolor. And this is this is around 20... 2012, okay. 2011. How come you don't put your dates on dates on your work on your website? Um, my friend Vicky Wyeth told me that I need to do it, and I just lazy. <laughs> okay, I thought maybe there was a more strategic reason for it. Okay, no, lazy work. Yeah, yeah. I want a lot, but yeah, like, I don't want lie. people to know I haven't painted in seven years. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully you know but that's that's good because i think if you go through my work or anybody's work you'll see a progression you're like it kind of got better i don't know if this was later it'd be horrible if someone's like is this an early one or a later one yeah. i think you can start you can see the early ones in the early 2000s um there's a definitive and it's a website so i'm not putting my whole body of work up there but right. it's enough on the internet where people can kind of judge 
the difference. So I'm going to pick one pandemic. here, Pixie, because I yeah. really like this one. So can you describe this one real Thank quick? You. This is one of my pandemic babies. So I did two 60 by 40s um, when the pandemic started. And you know, as well as I know, it started around March and we thought it was going to be over, you know, by the summer, but it wasn't. So time started to slow down and um, I started this one in, at the end of March and worked on it for three months, which I hadn't done with watercolor ever. Three months and full time? I mean, mm -hmm. seven days wow. a week. Yep. Yep. Wow. Yep. Yeah. That's, yep. I didn't know you so, could work a quarter color that far without ruining the paper. Yeah. And, you know, I had, um, as brand ambassador for Winsor Newton, I have kind of access to different quirky things. So I had these, like, I had these 60 by 40 sheets under my rug and just like stored away. I pulled it out and I was like, I just went over the, all the different things in my mind, bigger brushes, bigger washes. So I had to work on this one on a wall, worked on it from a photo reference, taped mm. it to the wall, straight up on the wall, and just started throwing watercolor. Um, and I started with the figure, blocked in the figure with those kind of gray glazes I start with. Like, this feels pretty good. Yeah. It feels okay. Yeah, this feels the smaller, working in the smaller areas, and then, kind of working at the sky and trying to carve that white out of the ticket booth. I just got into a rhythm and it was just like watercolors running everywhere, working with these huge brushes. Um, and then it started crystallizing in the last like few weeks and I could kind of draw brush some detail into it, but it really feels more open um, because of the scale of it. And, uh, and then I did another one. It felt so good to be under that kind of pressure and have watercolor going all over the place, taking bigger risks. I did a, I did a, another one. So that was like six months out of my the pandemic. Mm. Oh my god, that's goodness. what I was doing in 2020. Yeah. So yeah. another thing I want to mention about this painting that I really like is, well, there's one thing that's really daring, but it works really well weirdly, is you've got this line going right down the middle of her, right? Yeah, and that's, and I'm glad like, you noticed that because I was conscious. No, it had <laughs> to be because you can't do that by mistake. I mean, you have to, if you're, if you're an artist at all at heart, how could you not notice and like make a decision about that, right? But I would have <laughs> been afraid that it was kind of a tangent, but it totally works and i'm trying to think of if there's a better way and i can't think of one i think you nailed it but not not a, not because i, I can't think of a better back. one <laughs> well you probably would no but i can't I, you see all those parallel like the 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 wood right behind her that's kind of giving a structure to mm -hmm. to the form to her mm -hmm. um, i like that rhythm i also didn't want to interrupt that big shadow coming across uh the ticket booth as well so i did a study and i had her further back so between the interruption of the pole, I considered taking the pole out, but then it was still cutting into the shadow and it was messing with the design of it. Because the design is kind of the shadows like pointing right down to the figure and it's cutting like almost mimicking that the 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 uh, top of the bikini. Mm -hmm. So I liked all these kind of like design um elements. 
And I just, yeah, I had to live with that cutting down and with watercolor, I could kind of keep it light, keep that white in the clouds kind of really light. So it's not um, like really, like a really dark situation sitting on top. Right. I did like shadow for that purpose. Well, yeah, that's why it seems to work is because the shadow and the sky are essentially the same value. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, there's no contract, no, no real contract. So you're framing her head nonetheless. Yeah. And the other thing I love about it, and this is the case for all of your work, is that you're painting normal people. So this is Dakota. And I met Dakota in one of my drawing classes. She was strikingly tall. She was almost six feet and um, just had a rapport. You know, she would always be late, but although she was late, she always came with like iced coffee and uh, she had time to do that. And she was working on a portfolio to go to FIT and um, just ended up in my drawing class and we became fast friends and the rest is history. I painted her more than a few times. It's almost like, almost like plum. Once I get into a rhythm with a model and they're easy, um, I'll just kind of start building different scenarios for them in my head and, She's a local, she lives near a town in Point Pleasant Beach and just drive over and we did more than a few of these. So you've been friends with her since Pratt? No, 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 she, she, she is I think 23. Oh, okay. um, but I was teaching a local art class for one of my friends owns a store. And oh, it was just a quirky I misunderstood. thing. Okay. Yeah. yeah, she was trying to go to FIT. She did end, end up going to FIT, but she was in my drawing class just to build a, a portfolio to try to get into to our schools. Gotcha. But regular people, to your question, just I can get inspired by just something quirky as someone being tall and as goofy as me. <laughs> okay, so here's a, speaking of tall and goofy as you, here's a self-portrait. <laughs> Inevitably, yes. Yeah, so. we got it. We can't do this without looking at a self-portrait. And this one is, <laughs> this one's really interesting. The composition is real. It's called American Dream. It's watercolor and paper, 16 by 20. And what's interesting about this one to me is the composition is very unusual in that you're filling the bottom half as far as the height and then there's the just the tip of the american flag coming in from the top and then the rest of it is almost all shrubbery and but it's mm-hmm. it makes it a very dynamic composition like and it's it's very angular you know there's a diagonal going from the lower left to the upper right anyway and the other thing i notice about it is how interesting and how much depth you got in the shrubbery with watercolor it feels feels very real, very convincing. Thank you. I, I use a sponge for that oh, largely. Okay. Yeah, largely. And then kind of refined it and you can kind of see the splattering and just throwing everything at it to try to get that, get that texture and that volume. A um, little bit about this one, you know, Jeff, this is in 2018 and I was going through um, just some personal marital issues and nothing really big, but just feeling like something's brewing. Um, and then watching way too much news at the time. Um, so in the background, you have just explained some elements 
you know, the house that I owned, along with my wife at the time, they had this tattered flag that we had out front that just, um, just nylon got beat up by, by the wind, um, which represents the, uh, a fragile democracy. The house in the background is like they tell us that home ownership is the American dream, right? Mm -hmm. I'm like, mm, okay. I have the Yankee hat on, which is um, baseball is known to be America's pastime. And then you have my expression, which is very melancholy. I have all these 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 things going on. I should be really grateful for, and I'm living the dream. I have a pretty good career for myself, and um, but what's with the face? The face could go either way. It could be um, melancholy. It could be sad. It could be just a repose. Um, so I, I like taking all these different things and asking questions rather than filling things in and, and, and giving answers. Um, I think the face and the slumping pose kind of does open that door to going on here. You know? Yeah, that, okay. So it's sort of breaking my heart here as you're describing it, what it sounds, what it looks like to me. Dude, that's a heavy painting. I'm not kidding. That's a heavy painting. And I honestly, as a painter, I think I have sometimes the curse of looking at technique before I look at content. And, mm. you know, and so it's like with, it's like, I don't listen to the words of music very much either. I just sort of like listen to the sound. Um, Mm -hmm. And that's maybe a fault mm -hmm. of mine, but as, as I'm listening to you describing it, it's like, Oh, dude, that is heavy. Um, but what if it just feels like, like, yeah, you have everything, but life still is hard. That's what I'm feeling yeah. when I'm looking at it now that you've described it. It's like, okay, I've got the house, I've got the marriage, I've got the career. Why mm -hmm. isn't everything better? You know, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. it's, that's a beautiful painting it has a lot of, a lot of depth to it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's see. So a lot of beach ones and that again goes to your life. Now you live near the shore in Jersey. Yeah. Um, yeah. This, this one is beautiful off the sea or off season, sorry, off season. Yeah. And it's a yeah. blue painting. You very <clears throat> limited palette. Yeah. So, this is this is Carla Friday. She used to work at Winsor Newton. She was part of um, the artist affiliate program. She helped me get my deal, and she would just come down and bring me product, just in random bags, bring me brushes, and almost like a house call. She was so close, rather than having to ship things. And um, I decided to kind of make that relationship, um, the Winsor Newton relationship almost embody that in a person. I know this sounds, it's like, what's this guy doing? But um, there was one day, it was really windy. And uh, I was like, Carla, I just need you to come down. I need, I need to paint you today. She's like, all right, I'll come, come over when I get off. And she bought this wonderful printed dress, which works really good for watercolor. But you can see the teetering because of the I think she has a fear of heights and the wind was blowing all over the place. So it gave this awkward kind of bracing of herself, um, which is almost representative of relationships, you know, whether it's a corporation, whether it's a person. Um, and 
the other part of component of it, this is right after Hurricane Sandy, which is a long story about me not evacuating. I lived across the street from the ocean, almost a little bit to the left block away from where this is painted from the beach and had a healthy fear after that of the ocean, the sounds of the ocean, the wind. And uh, so I put the winds and Newton relationship, the Hurricane Sandy situation, um, and try to pack that all into into this composition. Hmm. Yeah, it's beautiful. And then I took all the color out because this is a brown ticket booth. So it's almost like a, a, a ghost um, kind of ghostly kind of presence. Wait, that, did you say it's building. a brown ticket booth? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a brown. So you changed like a, it. I sucked all the color. Yeah, that's, that's why the atmosphere, the background, I, I took color out of that. Uh, the bottom, the base is like, they're like brown wood planks. Even well, not just color, but value. You had to completely change the value. Yeah, yeah. That's tough. Yeah. 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 So it has this kind of ethereal, um, even the picket fences are this, this kind of honey brown. I just took all the... I don't know, Jeff. You know, sometimes you just I love painting, but I, I love coming up with creative things to kind of say something. Cause she she even is about my complexion. Carla is about my complexion. She has this honey brown kind of complexion. So I sucked literally sucked everything out of the Wait, is she is she African American? She is. Oh yeah, you'd never she know is. it. African-American. You'd never know it in this painting. Yeah. Is African American, and I think her dad mixed with Puerto Rican, but she's literally my complexion. No, she has kidding. a brown complexion. Wow, so. that's incredible that you. Yeah, <laughs> it's like I totally thought that was a white woman. That's in it. She's got. So for those who are watching, she's yeah. Her skin is almost white with purple shadows, but the whole painting is in cool. So obviously, that's why you did that. One thing I want to <laughs> point out about this painting that I find interesting. And I'm sure you did this on purpose too, but you you left the shadows of the shed or the ticket booth um, very light, but then the then mm-hmm. the shadow that she's casting on the shed is quite dark, and it really makes. And then you made her hair quite dark, and it makes her mm-hmm. really pop without feeling like she's not part of the painting. So she's still mm-hmm. really unified with the painting, but she also is clearly the focal point because you pushed the contrast there. It's really really nice thank you thank you um yeah, yeah the shadow you see the shadow underneath the roof on the right and her hair mm-hmm. are the only things that ground it and give it so it's not all just completely washed out so it does push the lighter values um yeah and it all frames her it's really well this one's different for you i think maybe maybe i'm crazy yeah, it's more like, you know, again, it's it's furthering that reconnection um with with the ocean I love so much. But after Sandy it just gave me such a uh PTSD that mm. so I was just going back and um painted this from life. So I, I it took a couple of times going out, but I just really wanted to make myself sit there after doing all these things on the ocean, all these these paintings. I couldn't let it just all just go to the wayside move on i still had to paint the ocean um so i, I did this composite 
and force myself to go back out there. And uh, I just did this from an artist block, um, watercolor paper, and just yeah, and and again, just trying to suck the color out of things and really get down to what the object is, rather than sweetening it up and and making it about color. Yeah, it's almost black and white, but it can't be just black and white because it feels, it it, it feels like color. Yeah, yeah, just slipping, mixing that ultramarine blue and and the burnt umber. Um, yeah and some cobalt moments back there in the sky, but keeping it, just wanting to focus, you know, as you know, this, this thing is a lot of hard work, a lot of creativity that, that, that goes into things. Um, and I learned a long time ago that I'm not going to be the best painter as, as, as Instagram kind of came to fruition and you see so many people getting younger and younger and paint. Um, I'm glad that I have this storytelling personal narrative that I can go back to and and kind of have a, a unique place in hopefully uh what we call an art world, you know. Yeah. yeah I think we are we're all coming to that realization <laughs> with with social yeah, media. We're not, it there's used, not gonna be a number one. No, we're not <laughs> we're not in an island anymore. <laughs> they found us. <laughs> <laughs> So I do have one last one. Okay. Just to talk, just to talk about. Oh, well, that one, yeah. Well, this, this one's this, gorgeous. This is Vicky Wyatt's favorite thing I've ever done. Vicky Wyatt, obviously, as people know, is Andy Wyatt's granddaughter. Mm -hmm. His last stop, three. So she named this one. She named the other one the Pixie one, and uh, she likes the creepy vibe of this one. Creepy. She's like, oh right, the peeping Tom kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. I, you know, it didn't even she occur to me. Another. It didn't even occur to me. Um, I hope that doesn't mm. say anything about my character or anything, but it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> You're a good guy. Yeah, no. It, it, <laughs> uh, yeah, right. That's why. Yeah, it didn't. But yeah, it really didn't. Again, I think because I'm just looking at it as a piece of art and, and I'm not, I wasn't focused too much on the content, which is, again, probably a fault of mine. But anyway, go ahead and continue to. Tell us. Now it's not a fault of yours because that's the spirit in which I was painting it. I, you know, um, yeah, I had, um, I had this model was a popular artist in the New York area. And um, I had another session planned for an interior. I was working on some paintings for a show at the Florence Academy um, for a show. And I was just getting. I'm getting stagnant. I was trying to get the sketch down and I just needed to break. So I walked into my backyard and um, Maisie was doing something with her, with her hair. And the way the light, you can see the light on the right um, that I had on her from where I was drawing her on a chair. I had light on her and the light was just like showing through, through the, it's like silk robe. And I was like, this is better than what I was doing. Hmm. I was like, Maisie, <laughs> don't move. <laughs> so she uh, fortunately let me let me shoot a couple of references of this because I really wanted to sit with it and, and get it right. And I didn't pose it at all. This is this is what she was doing. 
Wow. And uh, got the drafting table in the back. That's that white patch on the left. Um, had a, just a small studio at my house, but it kind of framed her in this really nice way. And I really was kind of hearkening back on my love for uh, Edward Hopper um, in this one. He always painted beautiful uh, scenes of women in windows, like the urban landscape. And uh, I just, I just loved it. And yeah, I was doing it from an innocent place, but I could see where she was I'm talking about it being voyeuristic and she had a, a real provocative name for it. And I was like, what else you got? Give me another yeah, I name. I don't think I don't, wouldn't go there with it at all. Yeah, but we, we yeah, we, everyone takes paintings. I mean, you know, we interpret them differently, but so, okay, just for those who may not understand, because I'm slow and it took me a minute to understand exactly how this went down. <laughs> so we're looking at a nude through a window um, and the, there's a sort of a, the, some people might see as a peeping Tom vibe coming from it. But what you're saying is you were shooting her in your studio and then you walked outside of your <laughs> home. And as you were turning mm -hmm. back toward, you saw her in your studio from outside of your home holding her hair up mm -hmm. in her robe, partially nude. <laughs> okay. Okay. I understand now. Mm -hmm. At first it was, I thought you saw your neighbor in her window like that. And I was like, well, that's interesting. <laughs> it took me a minute, it took me a minute to understand the story. So. Thank you for clearing it up for your own. <laughs> That, it's a gorgeous painting though and it, it it to me it doesn't feel creepy at all i love it all right so what's the one you wanted to look at that you said there's one you want to talk about um if you go to the reproductions i don't know if it's in the watercolor section um okay the one on the left the one yeah so I named this after Hurricane Sandy. So Sandy's wake is basically the wake that came in and just flooded everything. Um, and you know, it was the longest night of my life. So the next year, I figured once the season kind of started up, Sandy happened in October. I went out the next summer, uh, 2013 and decided to just face down my fears. Cause every time I would hear like the ocean or see it on TV um, or hear it at night in the window, it would just give me such anxiety. So I decided to go out there turn my back on the ocean. That's a very vulnerable position to be in, you know, um, and just kind of the expression is it's kind of a reticent kind of should I be doing this I'm turning my back on something so beautiful but potentially a, a serial killer um, and just trying to bookmark that in time and I took something very comforting to me which is a hat that my dad uh, gave me that I was for plein air painting and kind of almost shielding building me and uh, it's just an example I want to talk about how personal narratives and things make paintings you don't know what's going on if you just look at it but I think it I think there's kind of like a life force that runs through 
things that you're actually affected by, that you're act actively responsible for or involved in. Hmm. You know, there's, uh, have you ever read um, The Painted Word? Now I'm, I'm, I'm blanking mm -hmm. on the author, um, but it talks about how the one of the main critics of contemporary or uh, yeah of art of past art of by mm -hmm. contemporary art critics is that it was very literary you know it was all about the story right so in the past in the renaissance early all the way through the late usually religious war paintings history paintings things like that and mm -hmm. uh and then it, it, it goes through the whole history of art from the Renaissance up till now, where now you walk into a museum and you see a vacuum cleaner and you don't even know it's a piece of art until you read the description. In other words, the literary part of it, like you're, oh, I thought they just, the janitor left that here. No, that's a piece of art. Read about yeah. it, right? I bring yeah. that up because I think about your work. That's twice that I've been moved by your paintings as you've described them, but I loved them already. Right. So the, so there's like, you have this great literary side to your work, but that, that only adds to it, but it's not necessary because it holds, it's, it's mm. holding its own. This painting is holding its own as a picture, but then there's this whole literary side to it that adds a ton. I wish I could buy the original of this. Um, Thank you. It's, it's really cool. So for those who um, are listening, it's called Sandy's Wake. And uh, he's wearing a large brim hat. What do you call that kind of a hat? It's just got a really wide uh, brim. Yeah, it's it's kind of like a big straw hat. Uh, I don't know what. Yeah, it's made out of some leaves, but. Um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's just a portrait, and very subdued colors, and your face and the hat are really the the contrast against the light background in your light shirt. Yeah, it's gorgeous. So what is, what's, what's next for you? I'll always love this question. It's like, hmm, what's next? So as you know, and the rest of the world knows, the um, pandemic's kind of being a little bit more nice these days. So I have a full summer going on. I have two weeks out of July. Uh, at the end of July, I'll be teaching um, at the Florence Academy in Jersey City, teaching uh, art teachers uh, in a master's program they've established. I'm going to be painting in August, beginning of August, um, in Cape Cod and Maine. I'm going to do a workshop uh, in those two places, um, painting in plain air. Um, and hopefully September will be hardly little to nothing. Um, so that'll be the that'll be the summer. That's what's coming up. Bunch of plain air, uh, painting on the coast, uh, getting all that sun, get, getting getting out there, getting active. I love summer because it's like getting out of the studio, mm -hmm. getting out in nature, and just backpacking it and uh, dealing with the elements based on that crazy stuff I just showed you. Mm -hmm. Being out on the beach, being out in the ocean, trying to get after it, and not chasing reference or you know the creature comforts of the studio which are all great things but getting out there and 
in, in plein air painting all summer. So you mentioned earlier your schedule seven days a week. Is that an exaggeration or do you really paint seven days a week? Yeah, seven days a week. So I got divorced in 2019, but my ex-wife, I think in 20, 2010, um, after painting for a solid 10 years, uh, seven days a week, 12 hours a day. And she finally told me, if you're going to be in any kind of relationship or anything with me or anybody healthy, you have to cut it down to eight hours. Like, man, this is, I mean, because art, I don't look at it as, I don't have any children. So I don't want people to think, like, you must be the worst parent. <laughs> um, I don't have any children with pets. So, <laughs> selfishly, I this is the only thing I've done since 1994, going on 28 years. Um, it can be, I think you mentioned earlier, um, drug obsession, um, and you don't know when it's unhealthy because you can justify everything you're doing. So I would wake up, I would start painting at nine. She would come in from work after I took an hour break for lunch. She would come in at around four. I would take a break from four to five. I would go back there from five to nine. Um, to finish it off, I would watch show at night in bed, click it off, maybe 30 minutes of TV every day. But I didn't realize it was becoming an addiction. Um, but I have to paint every day only because I think if I take that one day off, I always related to like sports or something like there's some points I could have put on the board and leaving a lot on the table. Hmm. It's mental. It, it really is. It's, it's mental. But yeah, eight hours a day, seven days a week. Do you enjoy traveling. it all that time? Or do you do it mostly out of, or is there some other drive, some other force driving you? I want to give you, I want to lie to you, Jeff, but you're such a good person. And I, <laughs> I, I really have so much respect for you. I don't enjoy the whole eight hours. <laughs> I've, I've heard people say, you know what? I'm just a ball of energy. I'm getting there. I'm so inspired. But it's like, you know, I'll play podcasts. I'll have a show maybe going or something. I'll get involved in that. So I'm not feeling like I'm just throwing my whole life into um, just mark making, taking a, a, that kind of oath. Um, it, it ebbs and flows, especially depending on what I'm working on. Some things are a little bit more engaging, a little more interesting. And sometimes you just got to put a paint layer on. I'll be I'll be honest. I'll be the first one to admit it. It's a craft. It's it's not just you know it's not a concert or mm -hmm. you know a roller coaster. And I think if we were more honest in a lot of the facets, I think people coming into this world would have a more realistic view on what this thing is over the long haul. I would say I enjoy um, the process most of the time. Uh, I do, I do like what I do. As you get older, you, you have to look for different challenges and things that really, um, really inspire you. Yeah. I think, I think just to close it out, when I first started creating art, Jeff, I wouldn't finish anything. Like coming out of Pratt, like the first year maybe, um, there were a lot of starts and stops and, and I would, my friends had a running joke they watch me draw, they'd be like, you're still working 
that eye because I would get so wrapped up in detail. So I think that's why I work, keep the seven day thing going on so I can actually just finish things, just go all the way through something and just commit. I think that's a psychological thing. I'm not a workaholic not at all. Yeah, you know, I tell my wife I'm not a workaholic all the time, and she tells me I am. The first step to recovery <laughs> is admitting that you have a problem. <laughs> exactly. Like, I, I like what you did there. I think that I think those of us who don't think we're workaholics think that workaholics enjoy working. You know, it's like when I was a kid, my mom used to vent to me that because we had a really clean house. I mean, like you could eat off the floors. If I dropped a sopping wet scoop of ice cream on the floor, I would still mm. pick it up and eat it. It was that clean, you know, it doesn't matter how sticky oh, it is. I mean, it was that clean in our house. Never could wear shoes, anything. It was spotless all the time. My And so oh. people would come to our home and they'd just be, they'd say things to my mom like, oh, I should have you come clean my house. And it would, it was a pet peeve of my mom's. Cause she, she would, <laughs> then they would leave and she'd, rant about how they think I like cleaning. I just like it clean. <laughs> I hate cleaning is what she'd say. I, I hate it. I just like it clean. And you know what? Yeah. I think, uh, I think we as artists who work really hard, we think that workaholics do it because they like to. <laughs> yeah. And I don't really know if that's true. I don't know. Maybe that's not true. Maybe a workaholic is just someone who works all the time. I don't know, but yeah, it's anyway, funny story there with my yeah. mom. Um, well, this has been an awesome chat with you. Seriously, it's been great to get to know you better. I hope to see you again next year at the Portage Society of America so we can Definitely. talk some more in person. So thank you very Definitely. much for coming on the podcast. I appreciate you having me. I, I do. I am glad we did this because we did get interrupted. I was just getting to know you at the conference and then your fame, your popularity got in the way and you were whisked away. But <laughs> <Yeah>. I'm glad. <laughs> That's funny. Someone did, yeah, inevitably, like, uh, let me steal him. But I'm glad this is a good way to uh, do it. I would love to ask you more. I don't I don't have a podcast, but I would definitely, when I see you again, like to ask you a bunch of, bunch of questions. Yeah, we'll talk for sure. All right, thanks again, Mario. Oh, of course, of course. Thanks for tuning in to the Undraped Artist Podcast. If you enjoyed it, subscribe. And if you could, leave a comment or review. That really helps the channel. Please share the show with your friends. And if you're feeling generous, consider a monthly donation at theundrapedartist.com. Thanks again for watching. We'll see you next week.